everyone, and welcome to Work With Purpose, a podcast about the Australian public service. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. I begin today's podcast by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land from which we broadcast today, the Ngunnawal people, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and recognise the important and ongoing contribution they make to the life of this city and region. Today, we discuss a topic on everyone's mind, the future of work. The COVID-19 pandemic threw the world into a tailspin and upended many things, including the way that many people work. Previously, hard to access permissions to work from home went out the window and new norms and structures and behaviours emerged overnight as workers headed to their home offices, bedrooms and kitchen tables to keep the wheels of government and industry turning. Indeed, you're on mute became the most spoken phrase in English language. But as vaccination rates increase, the warmer weather arrives and the immediate threat of a catastrophe subsides, the question has to be asked, where to from here? Joining me today are two of Australia's leading experts on the future of work. Michael Brennan is the chair of the Productivity Commission and was previously deputy secretary of the fiscal group in the Federal Treasury, where he held responsibility for budget policy, retirement incomes, Commonwealth state relations, social policy and infrastructure financing. Before that important role, Michael was the deputy secretary in the Victorian Department of Treasury and Finance and has worked as an associate director in the economics and policy practice at Price Waterhouse Coopers. Michael Brennan, welcome to Work With Purpose. Thank you, David. It's great to be here. Sue Williamson is an Associate Professor of Human Resource Management in the School of Business at the University of New South Wales, Canberra. Her specialist research focuses on gender equality in the workplace and public sector human resources and industrial relations. She has recently researched how public sector employees worked from home during the pandemic and what the future of work in the public sector might look like post-pandemic. Sue won the 2021 Rosemary O'Leary Award for the best article published in 2020 on women and public administration, which was awarded by the International Research Society for Public Management. And Sue was also the 2017 ACT Telstra Business Woman of the Year, or a finalist in that role, in the academic and public sector role. Sue Williamson, welcome to Work With Purpose. Hello, thanks very much. Now, Sue, I might begin with you because as a researcher, I imagine you find these huge shifts like moving an entire workforce to work from home overnight and their impact on behaviour is absolutely fascinating. So what were the most prominent findings in that research that you did about public sector workers working from home? Yes, thanks very much. Yes, this is just a dream for researchers. It is such an exciting time to research in this space. So when COVID hit at um, 
early last year, we thought it would be a very good idea to have a look to see how public servants were working from home. So together with the Community and Public Sector Union, we surveyed 6,000 uh, APS employees, which included union members, but also about 20% were not union members, which is really important for our findings. We found overwhelmingly that people enjoy working from home. We have rerun the survey and I have just got the results in in the last few days. So I'm having a look at those, but where our findings are holding that people still really enjoy working from home. A lot don't, of course, but many do. And they want to keep working from home. Um, our respondents are telling us that the, the preferred amount of time to work from home is around three days a week. And that's backed up by other research as well. Um, a lot of International research is showing that employees want to work two to three days a week, and our research has found that as well. And we're also finding that organisations are starting to think about two days a week working from home is kind of doable. So we're seeing a convergence of interests there. Um, and moving on to productivity, which is, you know, Michael's area, uh, we also found that both employees and managers felt they were just as productive, if not more productive, working from home during the pandemic. And that finding has held over 2020 as well as 2021. Um, and as Michael will probably talk about, measuring productivity is very difficult, so we tend to go on self-reported um, perceptions of productivity productivity, but both managers and employees believe that they're just as productive, if not more productive, working from home. So in terms of this concept of enjoy enjoyment about work, what was it that employees or what is it that uh, public sector employees enjoy about working from home? So they appreciated the lack of commuting time. Um, Unfortunately, workers tend to use less commuting time to do more work, which isn't necessarily a good thing, but they do like commuting less. They also used it to work more flexibly. So employees could pop out and, you know, put a load of washing on, do those sorts of things. Um, and so it just enabled them to integrate home and work more effectively. And we know that there are downsides to this as well um, in terms of gender equality and who does what in the home. But it does enable a higher degree of flexibility and also it can increase the span of hours. So employees, you know, might just pop back on to work after dinner, which suits them. So there are downsides to this, but also a lot, a lot of positives. Now, Michael Brennan, the Productivity Commission's mission is to provide independent research and advice to the government on economic, social and environmental issues affecting the welfare of Australians. So no surprise that you got in on the act as well and you just didn't leave it to Sue and her team um, to uh, research this topic. What did your researchers find or is it perfectly in line with what Sue has just described? So many of our findings, David, are very similar. In one sense, when we set out on this journey, part of what we felt was that this was a topical and important issue and one about which a lot was being written but 
often from a different perspective. You had a lot of consultants and other commentators out there writing about the circumstances of individual workers or what firms, uh, advice for firms as to how they might handle a remote workforce or a hybrid model and what might work for individuals. And in a sense, our remit is to think about these issues from a whole of economy point of view. So from the outset, we were trying to think about the scenario where post the, the COVID pandemic, or as it starts to subside, as we start to experience some semblance of a new normal, if we see higher levels of working from home than we had in 2019 before the pandemic, what might that mean for productivity for a whole range of policy areas like planning, what might it mean for our cities, what might it mean for things like work health and safety regimes, for workplace relations, do all of those regulatory areas, those policy areas remain fit for purpose? And it's been a fascinating, to go back to your original point and question of Sue, it is a fascinating area to think about partly because this is a very dramatic change in the way we work. During the pandemic, we estimate that the percentage of hours worked prior, immediately prior was somewhere in the vicinity of 2% to 5% of hours worked were done at home. And then in March of 2020, that shot up to around 40%. And that is a very dramatic change. And, and we've seen big changes in the labour force and big changes in the way we work over the last few decades but they've all tended to be gradual, right? So the increase in female workforce participation or the rise of computing or the rise of service employment as opposed to manufacturing, this was almost literally overnight. And so a really dramatic change. And even if uh, assuming that it'll be the case that working from home eventually settles somewhere between where it was before the pandemic and where it was in the height of lockdown, uh, it's still a pretty significant change. And so we just wanted to kind of stress test uh, some of the uh, the policy areas that one might want to think about. So th that really would have crossed pretty much every area of the of the economy, wouldn't it? When you consider the the scale of this change, that really every part of the way that the economy is going to work is going to be impacted, be it town planning, transport planning, um, commercial office buildings, uh, the op the operation of businesses in cities. It's how does anyone come to a position of being able to have any sort of certainty about what's going to take place if we're still, you know, letting this change settle down, this dramatic change settle? Well, we picked a few highlights. So it, you're right, it's a pretty broad-based change, a pretty broad-based, if you like, shock to the economy. But we focused on, on a few things. So we, we wanted to have a look at what we felt it might mean for productivity uh, for cities and a couple of areas of regulatory policy. So we really singled out work, health and safety and workplace relations. And we had a little bit to say about urban planning as well. For the most part, I've got to say, although this is a pretty significant change and a very sudden change, if I had to sum up the general view that we had on most of those policy areas, it was that we don't feel that this is in need of a big policy response right now. Certainly nothing to panic about. It's not as though we need to radically reimagine cities or we need to radically reimagine things like work health and safety. We need to monitor, monitor some of these things and see how it goes. But for the most part, a lot of these regulatory arrangements are pretty flexible and principles-based. Uh, and in relation to cities in particular, we really got the sense that most of the more outlandish predictions 
about the real hollowing out of central city areas and that sort of thing. We're a bit overdone, a bit over the top. But we don't know that yet, do we, really? Because at the moment, we're only starting to see this return to work taking place now. And I know from my own experience here in Canberra, the the middle of Canberra is still very lightly populated compared to what it was prior to the pandemic. No, that's absolutely right. We, we, we don't know for sure. And so much of what we were doing was looking at what evidence was available and then making a judgment premised on that evidence. But the evidence is not yet in. The other point, of course, is that it's easy at the moment to conflate the effect of working from home, which might be an ongoing uh, result of what people have learned during the pandemic, and the pandemic itself. And obviously the result of the pandemic, the COVID pandemic, lockdowns, restrictions, and the ongoing concerns people will have even as we open up about their own health and safety, that will have some effect on use of public transport. It'll have an effect on people's willingness to go into the office, which is a bit distinct from where we think this all might settle. And it, it is easy to conflate those two. I mean, CBDs have, have really been hit for six uh, as a result of restrictions and lockdowns in our main capital cities, no question. Uh, the debate really is how resilient will they be as we can kind of return to some sort of normal now, this is a question for both of you, but perhaps to Sue, you first, and it's about the attitude of workers towards their employers. And did you pick up in your research at, at least, and obviously, Michael, from your um, analysis around workplace relations, has there been a shift in attitude between employees and employers as a result of this working from home? I tend to get this sense that employees are now thinking differently about their relationships with their employers. That's, and that's just anecdotal from what I'm seeing and, and hearing. But did you see any of that in your research, Sue? Yes, we're finding that um, that there is a change, that managers are becoming more supportive of working from home and flexible working arrangements generally. And so... Um, Last year with our survey, we found a big increase in managers supporting employees working from home. Whereas pre-pandemic, managers were generally not all that supportive of employees working from home because they couldn't see what they were doing. They didn't trust them in a lot of cases. They weren't sure if uh, employees were actually working. The pandemic has swept that out of the swept that out of the window, and now managers know that employees do work from home and they can be very productive. And so that has been a seismic shift in the way that managers um, look at working from home. And employees are also wanting to continue working from home. Um, and we're finding that they're saying if their organisation won't let them continue working from home, they're seriously thinking about moving on or looking for another job. And this feeds into the debates that are going on around the moment around the great resignation. So um, other reports have found that about 40% of employees are thinking of changing their jobs in the next 12 months. The findings that we have that have just come in show that about 45% of APS employees are also thinking of changing their jobs if they can't continue to work flexibly. And so um, 
people are talking about that it's an employee's market at the moment and employees have, you know, they've got the power. We'll see about that. So this needs to play out. I think the other interesting aspect is that the research is showing that there is an increased level of trust between managers and employees. And that makes sense. When you think about if managers now know that employees can work productively from home and employees are quite happy to do that, um, that trust is increasing as well, which is good for organisations as well as managers and employees. So, Michael, if this comes to pass, this great resignation, and those numbers are extraordinarily high, what are the impacts or the potential impacts on productivity if that indeed comes to pass? Well, our sense is that they are at worst neutral and, and possibly mildly positive. I mean, the, the point here is that this is, when you think about it, uh, although we think of this as being kind of caused by the pandemic, in reality, it's a little deeper than that. There's been an underlying technological shift going on for some time. It's, it's been getting harder and harder and more and more costly to move people around the city due to congestion, uh, but it's gotten radically cheaper to move information uh, including, you know, via Zoom and and Teams. And it's as though we hadn't quite realised the extent to which that was true until the pandemic forced that realisation upon us. And it forced the experiment and we've learned a great deal from it. But I distinguish it in this respect that unlike a lot of other technology that has come along over the course of the 20th century that made working more efficient, often that was technology that was largely in the hands of the employer so there was the ability to get cheaper energy or the ability to bring in some automation or some other you know, computing, some ICT that would change the way people worked in the workplace to boost efficiency. This is really a technological change whose benefit initially landed in the lap of the employee. In other words, it was because you know, they got the benefit of being able to avoid the commute or, as Sue put it earlier, the ability to be more flexible and combine work tasks with those non-work tasks and hence, it has to be a bit of a negotiation. The, the, the worker has this benefit, but it's the employer who has to determine a policy about how much work from home they're going to allow in their workplace. And our sense when we looked both at the survey evidence and just talked to employers and, and the anecdotal sense we got was that on balance, notwithstanding the point Sue makes about a pretty significant thawing of the view of employers in favour of some work from home, it was still the case and remains the case that employees still want work from home or want to work from home a little more than their employers are probably willing to allow. There are certainly some employees who say they'd love to work from home five days a week, and there aren't that many employers who are willing to extend that across the board. So there can be a little bit of tension in that negotiation. And I guess the key thing at the moment is, the key contextual point is that all of this happens at a time when the labour market is pretty tight. And I do think you will, as a result, see a bit of that reallocation of, of labour. Is it good for productivity? I, I think part of the reason I'm positive or, or sanguine about that is that you would expect in this world, if it's a really important thing to most employees and you've got a bit of a mismatch potentially between some employers saying they want everybody back in the office five days a week, many seeking some sort of hybrid model, but perhaps only one to two days a week and some employees wanting something different, it's natural that employees are going to want to shop around and you, you would hope that you could get a better alignment between the, the wishes of employers and employees in each case. So maybe there are people who care 
a little bit less about the ability to work from home and they might be quite happy working for an employer who really wants their staff in the workplace, the central workplace, five days a week. There will be others who are quite happy with an all-remote workforce model, both the employers and the employees. It's actually quite good for the economy to see a bit of that reallocation so that you can get workers and bosses kind of on the same page. Uh, so I think on balance, seeing a bit of that movement across the economy, a bit of that reallocation, that's that's generally probably going to be a good thing for productivity. Okay. Now, Sue, um, I know that predicting the future is a notoriously difficult business, but can you paint a picture of where you think we might be in three to five years as to how indeed this might settle and if indeed you think it may take about that amount of time before we 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 were um, uh, reach a sort of uh, equ- equilibrium of sorts. Yes, I do think it will take a few years to play out. Um, we know that hybrid working is popular, and I think hybrid working is here to stay. So a couple of years down the track, we may find that many, the majority of employees are working from home a couple of days a week. The other interesting point to note is that organisations, including public sector organisations, are looking at the whole range of flexibilities. So it's not just working from home, but it's also other forms of remote working and different ways of working as well. So pre-pandemic, some state governments had experimented with remote working hubs where the main office is in the CBD and then there's satellite centres where employees can go into. They've also experimented with activity-based working and a lot of APS agencies are engaged in activity-based working. When the pandemic hit, um, commentators said activity-based working won't be here to stay because of hygiene reasons. Now it looks like that it is. And activity-based working is where people work on different projects in different workspaces. So if you're working on policy, you go to a quiet space. If you're being creative, you might work in a louder space with your colleagues. Um, And so organisations are looking at a wider range of flexibilities apart from just working from home and hybrid working. So we may end up with more dispersed um, workforces across the public sector in a few years to come. And Michael, for you, what, what when do you see that we may settle into some sort of known equilibrium of, of what a, a future state might look like? And, and what's your view on that three to five year horizon as to what the future of work looks like in Australia with a particular emphasis on the public sector? So I know it's a cop-out, but I think it is anyone's guess. It it is clearly going to be some time before we settle into a, a, quote, new normal because living with COVID is going to be something that means we're going to be seeing the effects of the pandemic um, continuing on to some extent. And the, as I mentioned earlier, that the the work from home effect uh, kind of intermingled with an ongoing pandemic effect. And I think we'll see that for some time yet. Where could it go? I mean, we had to think about, you know, what could the scenarios be? I'll, I'll give you two. I, I think there, there are two kind of plausible scenarios. One is that having kind of broken the seal on working from home, it just continues to grow and grow, right? So this would be a scenario whereby we we settle somewhere between the pre-pandemic level of working from home and the lockdown level, somewhere between that 5% and the 40%. 
And then what we observe is that people and businesses get better at the practice of working from home and that technology continues to improve. And perhaps that there are some occupations now, we, we estimate that about two thirds of the jobs in the economy can't actually be done from home, but it's possible that we get better at that. Maybe in those jobs, you get better at segmenting the tasks into the ones that can be done remotely and the ones that can be done centrally. And so the momentum kind of builds on itself and there's a cultural shift and we continue to see the level of working from home rising. That's one scenario. I think there is a second scenario that's plausible enough, which is to say that we kind of arrive at that midpoint somewhere between where we were and where we have been in the during the pandemic, and we don't really move much from there. And that would be a scenario where effectively what we would have done is realise what had been the untapped potential that we hadn't quite realised was there, but we found and discovered during the pandemic, but we've sort of also reached the limit and that there are jobs that just can't be done from home. And we realise that it's quite important to spend, say, two to three, for most workplaces, two to three days in some sort of physical proximity with in-person interaction, just to develop that collaboration and culture and creativity and onboard new starters, uh, to be noticed by the boss, all of those things that in-person interaction gives you, and that we really don't push on much more from there. And, and I think you could see both of those scenarios playing out, or, you know, or maybe it, um, a kind of combination of the two would be that we sort of settle into that new equilibrium and maybe there's a bit of incremental growth from there. Now, a final question to both of you, and that's really in the advice realm. You know, what advice do you have to employees? What advice do you have to employers to make the most of what is a very uncertain uh, outlook and we all know that uncertainty isn't great for productivity. So what, what advice would you have, Sue, to you first, to, to, for employees and employers to manage this most effectively? Okay, so my main piece of advice to organisations and to managers is the importance of communication. So a lot of um, APS organisations are starting to talk to their workforces about bringing them back now that we're settling into some kind of um, COVID normal scenario. A lot of them also don't seem to be talking to employees and making unilateral decisions about um, the number of employees that should be in the office or which jobs need to be performed in the regular pre-COVID workplace. And so I think that it's really important to start to talk to employees around what they want, how it can be worked. As Michael said, it's a negotiation. And so I think those conversations are very important. And this is going to play out in the future as APS agencies start to commence enterprise bargaining and we may well see working from home being a bargaining claim and so that's going to play out as well. In terms of employees, uh, I would emphasise the need to look after health and especially wellbeing. Um, we know that um, quite often working from home is not ergonomic. And that's one of the downsides of working from home. And it's also cost shifting to the employee so that they're paying the heating bills, all the other utility bills. Um, and so that's a downside. But as well as that, there's also the issues around um, physical and mental well-being. And so I think that it's really important for employees to monitor both physical and well-being to make sure that they're 
um, doing okay as they're working from home. And with the pandemic and everyone having to shift to working from home almost overnight, I think WHS issues were shelved a bit, but now that organisations are thinking about how do we keep this going, what does the future look like, workplace health and safety issues need to be given more consideration. All right, and Michael, your advice to employers and employees. So I'll say firstly to employers, I would say make a hard-headed assessment about where you think working from home will work well for your employees. And every bit of evidence I've seen is suggests that it's a highly individualistic thing. Some people are well set up at home, some people will work well remotely, others will, will need to be in the office. Uh, and a lot of that is to do with uh, how long they've been in their role and how much they might need to learn. For workers, I think it's important not to lose sight of the longer term. So it can seem perhaps seductively appealing to spend a lot of time working from home, but it may well be that the right balance has you in the workplace some of the time just to take advantage of the sort of serendipitous chance meetings, the things you wouldn't necessarily plan for yourself, but will result in a bit of growth, a bit of the unexpected. And I think that will remain important for people's human capital development. But to both employers and employees, I would say the big thing here is that it's an ongoing experiment. Uh, we, we're all going to learn more and get a bit better at it. The hybrid model, whilst it, it's the obvious one to choose, but it's probably the hardest model to execute well because it is a bit of a mix. We all know that the hybrid meeting is a really tough thing to get right. And I think it's just important to embrace that spirit of experimentation and just to think about, you know, we'll, we're all going to try things out. Some are going to work, some are not. There's no shame in that. I think as workers, we've already learned that you, you shouldn't work in your pyjamas. You, you shouldn't, um, you've got to make sure you're doing a bit of incidental exercise or, or getting a bit of exercise. Uh, you, you've got to, you know, take active measures to ensure that you're switching off. There are all sorts of things that we learn about how to work effectively from home. And I think we just have to kind of have to continue to embrace that experimentation and learning. Michael Brennan, the Chairman of the Productivity Commissioner and Associate Professor Sue Williamson of the University of New South Wales, Canberra. Thank you so much for joining me on Work With Purpose today. A fascinating conversation and I look forward to you both coming back in maybe even just about, let's say, 12 months' time. We might get you back to, under, as you sort of continue to look at this important uh, cultural and economic shift and as we try to understand it a little bit more to be able to make sure that productivity continues to grow uh, to help Australia's international and national competitiveness. So thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, David. Thanks, David. Thanks, Sue. And to you, the audience, thank you for coming back once again to listen to Work With Purpose. Today was episode 51, uh, a milestone for the program as we continue to explore the important work of these very bright people who work with and for the Australian public service. Uh, work With Purpose is part of the GovComs podcast network, and if you would like to check out GovComs, please type that name into your favourite podcast browser and it's sure to come up. And if you do happen to come across the social media promotion for Work With Purpose, please pass it along to a friend by sharing it or indeed, if you are feeling generous, a rating or a review of the program will help us to be discovered. Uh, thanks also to our good friends and colleagues at the at IPA, and also to the Australian Public Service Commission for their support in putting these programs together. Uh, and if again you haven't as yet heard the or had the chance yet to listen to the Integrity series, make sure you do. Hosted by 
Rena Brunsma of the Australian Public Service Commission. It does feature a who's who of the Australian public sector having important conversations about the importance of ethics and integrity in the work of the Australian Public Service. A big thanks also to the team at Content Group for putting the program together once more. My name is David Pembroke. We'll be back at the same time in two weeks, but for the moment, it's bye for now. Work With Purpose is a production of Content Group in partnership with the Institute of Public Administration Australia and with the support of the Australian Public Service Commission. 